Okay, here's the deal. If you've been taking a magnesium supplement but have yet to see a change in your symptoms, it's time to try a compound magnesium supplement. Magnesium is essential to our health and our well-being, and deficiencies have become a huge problem. It can cause everything from migraines and sleep issues to increases in a risk of experiencing chronic diseases. We shouldn't wait until we are deficient in magnesium to start taking it. And even more critically, there's not just one type of magnesium. Now, normally I'm a big advocate of getting as many of your nutrients from food, but in this case, it's almost impossible to get enough of magnesium through food alone because our soil is so overworked and mineral depleted and lacking organic matter, which helps the plants get the minerals from the soil. Fortunately, Bioptimizers has a solution. Magnesium Breakthrough has seven types of magnesium, and it's specially formulated to reach every tissue in your body. It gives you access to the full spectrum of magnesium, which can dramatically improve your overall health, from reducing stress to improving sleep, to boosting your energy levels, to maybe helping you get over the cold that you got from your kid. Like I am in this situation right now, I sometimes up my dose of magnesium when I am sick, and it does help. Right now, you can try Magnesium Breakthrough and any other product from Bioptimizers for 10% off. Just go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed10. That's mag, so M-A-G, breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash wellfed10. Use the code wellfed10 to boost your intake of magnesium. You can sign up for a subscription as well, like I did. We get five bottles sent to us every five months because we go through a bottle a month for the two of us, and it does help cut down on the costs. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed10. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome and hello again. I am so happy you're here. I am your host, Noelle Tarr. And this is episode 394. (laughs) Every single time I see the episode number, I'm like, wow, we are so close to 400. This is a huge milestone. And I'm going to be honest, I was actually like, should we stop at 400? But we're not. We're just we're just going on. We're going to go for 500, folks. So my website's coconutsandkettleballs.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And today I have with me Stephanie Ruper, who is my co-host of almost eight years now. She's the founder of Paleo for Women. She, was, she and I started this podcast and it was uh, originally called the Paleo Women Podcast almost lost it there. The Paleo Women Podcast, and we transitioned a few years ago to the Well Fed Women Podcast, which is, you know, much more applicable. Um, she's also the author of Sexy by Nature and a PhD, and we are co-authors of a book called Coconuts and Kettlebells. You can get it on Amazon today. Our topics include what to do when you just love processed foods, and do you ever really lose your taste for it after you've transitioned or shift to a whole foods diet, setting realistic goals that don't involve dieting or weight loss, products at Costco or lack thereof, and if you should be getting testing done, like nutrient testing, even if you don't have any symptoms or known issues. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. <laughs> I I did I did it backwards. I 
hit unmute and then I turned off my air conditioner. I should have done it opposite. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You have to sit in non, non-air conditioned air. Well, Europe is um, very interesting because yeah, it's not, it's not very popular here, but in some places it can get very, very, very warm, very warm. You know, no screens, no screens on the window. So I'm covered in bug bites. Oh no, no screens. Yeah. Does anybody here want to go into business with me selling screens across Europe? We're going to, we're going to make it. It's like like my backup plan. That's like what I'm going to do. I don't understand. So you don't have air, but when you open up the window, literally everything comes in, like all the bugs. I am covered in mosquito bites all the time. And yeah, yeah, it just, it blows my mind. And when I lived in Italy, uh, you know, several years ago now, 11 years ago now, I was, it just blew my mind. It was, you know, 95 degrees every day and no air. So you have to have the window open, but there's no screens. And when I talk to people about screens, they're like, no. What? They're completely uninterested in the idea of screens. Oh, that's so confusing. But you know, not to generalize, I apologize, but generally speaking, that's my experience. Yeah, no, I do know some of this because I've watched Emily in Paris. And so I know a little bit about the French through, you know, the Netflix programming. Um, no, that, that like one of the things she complained about, she's an American, you know, she moved to France for work. And one of the things that she complained about is or the, the, the most jarring transition is like, there is no air. And she's like living, you know, in the attic of a house, like that's her room where she's renting. And it's just like, oof, I could not, and like wearing business attire and stuff like that. I don't know how people do it. It's, it seems awful. <laughs> well, that's a part of why things like shut so much in the summer and are shut for lunch. And because it's just so hot, you know, my window faces West. And when the sun starts getting into the Western part of the sky, I have to leave. Like there's no chance I can stay here. It's just mm. no chance, uh, but it's all fine. It's good. You know, it's good. And I, I like being out and about anyway, so it's for the best. And I live um, right along a beautiful river uh, with the promenade, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's gorgeous. So Noelle's obviously seen it all on Instagram. So she knows. Um, I just watched you dance in your, it was it like your sunset dress. That's actually, yeah. That actually is a video from Boston. Oh, yeah, it's it's uh it's funny though because I wore it this week in, in Lyon. So that would be that would be why it seems like I'm dancing in Lyon. <laughs> but the, it's a video from uh from Boston and I wanted to talk about dance on Instagram, which is why I pulled the video forward. Well, you know, I never would have known. So here's the social media <laughs> lying to us. So <laughs> and, and and batch creating content even when you're in a different country. Well, people yeah, people here in if you know any my new friends yeah. uh, in, in France would definitely know that it's not because there's a bunch of tall buildings that look very mm-hmm. like American. And yeah. the, the, if you look at the background of the video, like, you know, it's not a whole lot of skyscrapers where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything to mention? This is like, in a, like have- for business. No, I have, okay. um, I have no big content releases for you all. Um, Keep taking your time, Steph. I'm taking my time. I'm taking, I'm practicing patience. Um, patience. Okay. We're going to jump right into questions. The only thing that I have. Yeah, we've got, we've got a good one. Well, we've got four, which I know Steph loves when I do four. So um, 
I we're our first one's gonna kind of be our discussion question before we jump in. Howshegrew.com, if at all you are interested or want to learn from women, entrepreneurs, business owners, influencers, people who have side hustles, maybe they're, you know, nutritionists, they have services, they work one-on-one with people, or they've built, you know, programs. And that's something that you are interested in doing or want to explore. Um, howshegrew.com. I am part of an executive team that's putting together um, a large number of interviews with the top experts in the field. And you'll be able to, for a very small fee, get sort of this one-on-one personalized coaching and information, resources, guides, all the things that you would need to start whatever it is that you're passionate about on the internet, (laughs) which is can be very confusing and overwhelming. So we just wanted to make this attainable and realistic and um, affordable given the economy and what we're all going through for women to um, improve, maybe diversify their income and just find something new that they can do in order to find stability for their families. So coconutsandkettlebells.com forward slash how she grew is where I'm just going to keep everybody informed who might be interested in that. And you can learn more at howshegrew.com. Um, we're hoping for an October-ish launch. So hopefully that happens. Question number one is from Melanie. She says, some people say when they adopt a whole foods diet and cut out processed foods, they lost their taste for things they used to love processed foods wise. This will never be me. I've been following a paleo diet for over a decade and rarely deviate and don't struggle with cravings, but I can guarantee you a slice of funfetti cake would taste like heaven. Do you think some people really do lose their taste in quotations for processed foods and others don't. And why do you think that may be? And then she has a second question, which is for both of you, if it was your last meal, what would it be? So let's talk about the Mm. funfetti cake. The funfetti cake. Very, yeah, it's a fascinating question. Uh, Something I think about a lot because my experience, I think, has been a little bit on both sides of the of the coin. Uh, I think uh, me personally, I absolutely resonate with the idea that like these foods will always taste great to me. Um, at the same time, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over them. I will say, okay, so what do I think is like happening for people generally? I think for some people, there's an like an awakening to what food can be like. Right. I think a lot of people think that whole foods will be terrible or can't be delicious or, you know, like my quote unquote uh, paleo egg roll in a bowl can't be as good as a egg roll I get at, you know, some restaurant or whatever. Um, yeah. Go to coconutsandcatables.com slash recipes. <laughs> Accurate. Right. <laughs> So for an egg roll in a bowl, that will be even tastier. Um, and I think for some people, there's like an awakening and, and that is very like tactile in the sense that like the actual taste is way better than you imagined it would be, or you learn ways like you just, you just taste, it tastes better. like a blind taste test, right? I also think that there are layers of value and 
uh, desire and identity like woven into that. Right. And so uh, you can, a lot of people say that they like to like sit and intention, intentionally think about like the fact that this cucumber came from my garden. A, mm-hmm. does it actually taste better? Probably. B, does it taste even better because you like nurtured that little cucumber with your rain clouds and, you know, maybe you collect rainwater and then, you know, like, and so there's, there's all these different layers of meaning that I think can turn food into a different kind of experience for people once they decide to make some kind of shift. Uh, So I think those things are, are super, are super relevant. And then do you lose your taste? I think like by comparison, if I learn that food tastes so much better, or if I come to value my health and this lifestyle so much that like I do lose a taste for that stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's legitimate. I personally, um, I think, I think taste buds are part of that. I think uh, the brain and the dopamine hit you get can be very impacted by the way that you think about food. Mm. Right. Um, and so I think, um, I think that that's highly relevant. You know, I think that it is neurochemical, uh, but it doesn't have to be the case, right? It won't necessarily be the case that just because you start really enjoying whole foods that your dopamine levels are going to drop when you eat funfetti cake. Like it's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, there are There is also interesting theory about the dopamine that's released when you eat food, like say, for example, carbonated beverages. Like why do we like carbonated beverages, right? You get a little bit of dopamine because it like is a sensation that like has that tiny, like maybe a little bit of hurt to it. Like it's a sensation. You get a dopamine hit when you drink a carbonated beverage that you don't necessarily like no cognitively. Um, and they can happen with food and they can change. They can go away. They can be dehabituated over time, right? Like you can kind of lose that habit. Um, and sometimes like you might have a positive reaction to something like a, like a neurochemical feeling of like, yes, to something, even though it's bad for you or because it's bad for you. Right. I mean, that's like, it's whole other like set of stuff, but it's just, it's a fact. And so uh, if you come out of that habit over time, you can lessen that, that like automated neurochemical response. And I know nothing about the biochemistry of taste buds. So this is all just like hypothetical based on the little bit I know about how like brains and feelings work. And so much of it is habituated. That doesn't mean that like things won't be really tasty and the intensity of taste will change based on what you're used to. Right. So like for me personally, right now, fruit is too sweet. Like I go to a, like a cafe many days a week and get like a little like parfait. I am in love with parfaits. I'm the donkey from Shrek. I am in <laughs> love with parfaits. <laughs> I am in love with parfaits. I say to people in France all the time, I'm like, do you know that parfait is perfect in French, but it means fruit and granola in English? They're like, yes. <laughs> They don't call them parfaits here, by the way, because parfait means perfect. What do they call them? Uh, a fruit and granola, granola oh. yogurt. Like granola I, I haven't, yeah, yeah, granola jar is what I get at my little like bougie cafe. Um, parfait is French for perfect. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Anyway, um, where am I going with this? <laughs> oh, so I get one and I like, I pick around the fruit. Cause it's too sweet for me now. And I remember when I lived in China, like it just, it, 
it became too sweet. If you like have soda all the time and then you stop having it, you have it again. And you're just like blown away by how sweet it is. Right. right. So like the intense and saltiness is another thing that you can be habituated to. And so in a sense, like those also those habit flavors will change over time, which could be a big part of how people like gain or lose taste for things. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that the, the idea of a funfetti cake or having a funfetti cake wouldn't be really like exciting for you sometimes, or for some people, you know, like it, just because these habits happen, doesn't mean that you stop having cravings for certain foods. You know, um, most of my like all-time favorite foods that I had in the past are like, you know, things that aren't like a pop tart. Would I like a pop tart right now? Yeah, probably, but maybe just a couple bites. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. So I, I love, I, I just have to say, I love where you went with that, where your answer, because it totally is kind of what I inherently feel too, but I didn't quite make the connection to the neurochemical dopamine, all that kind of stuff. Um, I do feel like you, like you said, you lose that in that intensity, like you, you definitely. So when I w- were to like, like funfetti cake, it's like, okay, cool. It would taste good. But honestly, I'm like, eh, like I could give or take it. Um, would it be cool to make like a funfetti cake with like the way that I make food and make desserts? Like probably like, I think that would be kind of fun, but even so I'm not like super drawn to it. I don't fantasize about it. I'm not thinking about, oh man, it would still taste like heaven. Like I, it would just taste like a piece of cake to me. And I do think that that's because of the fact that to kind of look at it from a different lens. I do continue to eat the foods that I love. I I make desserts. I enjoy the food that I eat and I continue to eat foods that I am drawn to like cake. Like, you know, I make chocolate cake and I eat it and then I move on with my life and I really don't need it for like, you know, another year until my birthday comes around and then I look forward to it. So it's, I do feel like there's um, two things working, which is one, you do lose some of that, like, you realize that it's how intensely sweet something is and you, or you realize how intensely salty something is or almost kind of like a cheapened flavor, like a a fake flavor. Like when something is really more, um, the flavors coming from synthetic ingredients or chemicals, um, or artificial flavors, like I can taste that difference. And that's not as appealing to me now because I do have a very varied diet. I do cook things and plenty of, you know, salt and fat and coconut oil and all that kind of stuff. And so I love the food that I eat and it tastes really good and I taste the flavor. And so when I eat other things, I don't enjoy that flavor anymore. But also the the, the other part of that is sometimes we get that way about things when we're still in that restrictive mindset, when we're still saying, oh, I can't eat this food. We elevate that food and fantasize about it. Maybe not fantasize, but, you know, think about it and think, oh, it's going to taste so good or whatever. Like I used to think that way. And I used to be that way, especially when I was in college and in my twenties. And I even remember sitting and talking with some friends and being like, oh, we should just have a day where we like eat eat the things that we never eat. And it was like, you know, this whole plan and we thought about it and we were talking about what we would eat and all that stuff. And now it's like, I don't need that because I eat what I like to eat now, right? So I naturally gravitate towards nutrient-dense foods and things that make me feel well, but I'm not 
I still also do have enjoy cookies. I just enjoyed a pumpkin oatmeal um, cookie, that recipe that I've been working on. And it was very wonderful. And that's just what I had at the end of the day. And now, you know, I move on with my life. So I don't, I think that there might be two, you know, there's many things that are in that play into, you know, how do we perceive foods that we don't eat? And how do we perceive foods that quote unquote, aren't on our diet or aren't healthy for us? Um, within the context of whatever we're eating. So I loved the direction that you went. Okay. So I, tell me what your last meal is. So what do you, I don't know. It's so funny. I don't, I don't know how to answer this question. I just, I, I actually last week had this long and hysterical conversation with my mom about how my least favorite question, my least favorite question to be asked is what's your favorite dish? Because I don't, I don't even know what a dish is like <laughs> uh, vegetables with oil like <laughs> and seasoning um it's so funny no i mean thank you for asking melanie and i i kind of get what people are getting at it's really hard for me to conceptualize dish like what what is, is it like a what is what is it what is a dish is it like carbonara you know is it like linguine is it like you know is it like uh anyway uh it's funny when we were talking about foods that we used to really love i don't know i also like uh, how I don't know how's how, I'm just gonna let it go. I was gonna go on this huge tangent about like ultimate satisfaction and what what are we ever satisfied ultimately by and is it food? Okay, foods that I <laughs> foods that I used to love. A spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's was like my go to, mm. and I was just in my head. I was like, would I have one of those? Would I have pizza? I do really like pizza. Like a really nice deep dish pizza, obviously, because I'm from the Midwest. Yeah. I don't know. Like, would it be oysters? Would it be? And who prepared it? You know, I want a really nice meal, but like, you know, there's so many questions. Yeah. I know. You know what? I feel exactly the same way. I don't necessarily have this like dish or meal that I'm like, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want my last meal to be because Honestly, I, I eat the things that I, I love the dinners that I make and I intentionally yeah. love my food every day. And honestly, the most important thing to me when I'm thinking about what's my last meal is like, I just want to make sure that I'm with the people that I love. Like, I just want yeah. it to be in the presence of my family and my kids. Like I would love to be there with like, I'm trying to envision it. I would just love to be across from my two kids and with my husband beside me. Like, that's, what's important to me. So I don't like, I, that's what I think about with my last meal. I'm not necessarily thinking about Oh, what am I eating? I would, I mean, I love the sloppy joes that I make. I love it when we do hamburgers. I love, you know, I love all the magic show. Magic show. I could come, yeah, I'd probably have a good slice of chocolate cake. I don't, I mean, I love I would have, I would have a parfait. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's the things that I already enjoy and allow myself to have. I, you know, wait. I would have coffee. Oh, I would have coffee. So you, you're not doing coffee at all anymore? No, I am. Okay. <laughs> I'm just the kidding. way you were talking about just it was kidding. like. I just, I realized, I was like, oh, that's, that's one of my faves. Not to make yeah. an idol of coffee, because I know I'm making an idol of coffee. But yeah, um, it is nice. It tastes great. I'm just, I don't know. I can't like, I like all the things that I eat. Um, yeah. And make and. And that's kind of how I've set up my life. And that's, I, I, you know, 
health to me is being able to be adaptable, you know? And so that's kind of what, and I know this is another random tangent, but that's what I've been really trying to create a foundation on is like, I want to be resilient and adaptable. And the way that our society drives, you know, health right now is like, you, you need to be strict and regimented and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, dude, I just want to be, I want to be able to be resilient and bounce back from things. And I want to be adaptable and I want to have a bad night's sleep and be able to like recover and like, you know, and rebound from that, or maybe not, you know, eat a little off and like be able to quickly rebound from that. Like that's, that's what I want for my long-term health. So. Yeah. Listen up for a new offer for free electrolytes for everyone, even if you've already made a purchase. When you are dehydrated, you need more than just water. Your body also needs minerals. That's because water absorption in your cells is dependent upon electrolytes like sodium, magnesium, and potassium, and you lose electrolytes when you sweat and when you go to the bathroom and you have to replenish them through food and supplementation. If you're active or you follow a whole foods diet or you're stressed and struggling with adrenal dysfunction, you need to be thinking about electrolyte replacement. Deficiencies can show up as dizziness, muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, and sleep disturbances, or those stars when you go from seated to standing, especially on workout days, which was my experience. I let that go on for far too long, and now that I replace my electrolytes, I can tell you that I have not had that happen in so long. I also have much better recovery and can handle more workouts. Element is by far the best electrolyte supplementation Coming from somebody who spent years in the endurance world, I can say that confidently. They make grab-and-go electrolyte replacement with no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. It's travel-friendly, too, and great for kids. My kids love it. We even took it with us on vacation. And everyone gets a free gift with purchase. Element comes in boxes of 30, and there is free shipping on all orders. And now all orders will get a free eight-pack, which has all the flavors of Element, to get it, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed and make sure to use our code wellfed for the free sample eight pack. Again, that's drinkelement.com forward slash wellfed. Anyway, nice. Yeah, question number two. This is from Jody. She says, How do you set health and fitness goals? We know the scale is not our friend. I find it hard to know what realistic and achievable. What is realistic and achievable and apply a time frame? I work out consistently and I'm happy with my diet. So goals like eat five servings of vegetables per day or work out five days a week don't work for me. They are already built into my lifestyle. I'd like to lean out a bit and build strength, but I'm not sure how to set goals around that. It's very, um, it's very interesting. Uh, and some of the, the language actually here, um, talking about health and fitness goals. Um, I agree, uh, about the scale. Um, if the goal is, I, I guess I would ask like, what is the goal? Right. I think that that's a very important part of this question, right? If the goal is health, Right. Like you, you need to know what the goal is in order to set it. And part of this question uses language about health. And some of it is like about vegetables and, and, and exercising. Right. But some of the questions is about health, but it's also um, a lot about wanting to lean out and build strength. 
and not using the scale, right? And so my question is, are your goals actually about leaning out? I'm not saying that health and like health and leaning out aren't antagonistic, but they're different goals, right? If you have a specific plan about your body shape, which I'm okay with, right? Um, so long as we approach these things like mindfully and all that, um, then you might have like a very specific idea. You might want to like hire a trainer who can help you like step by step go through your meal plan, right? And your macros or in your fitness routine and that sort of thing. Um, and health, uh, I would say in terms of health goals to be setting things, we might want goals that generally speaking, we might want to set for ourselves are um, managing or reducing or eliminating um, whatever kind of symptoms we are identifying, um, boosting our energy throughout the day, um, getting certain health markers, say, you know, say you've struggled with certain conditions, getting markers back on a, on a lab test that are like good, you know, all these sorts of things, um, they require, you know, like having a, having a more specific goal. So if the goal in general, and maybe what some people think about is like, it's vague health and fitness. And so step number one is like, let me dial in and figure out like, what is my goal? And when you ask yourself that question, the way to set it is to say like, what's feasible? Like, A, what's feasible? Do not <laughs> set an unfeasible goal, like mm-hmm. period. Um, a, a, what's feasible and B, like what, how, right? And and how do you figure out your how for your goal, right? You have to think about the, the like question or goal or problem that you're addressing. Learn about ways that other people do it think about ways that you've maybe tried it in the past and what has worked for you and what hasn't. And then like make a plan for yourself that is feasible, that is sustainable. Um, And then as you're working towards the goal, be intentional, check in with yourself. If you like quote unquote miss a day or change this or something happens in your life, like Noelle said, be adaptable, right? And so try to stick to the plan. But if the plan has to change and you're being very intentional about it and you know that you're changing it for a good reason, change it, right? Or abandon that path and choose something different. But I think I think a lot of goal frustration, right? Or, or failing, quote unquote, failing, very big quotes there. I don't, the concept of failure is kind of, I don't understand, but like not achieving something, right? Like a lot of that happens for us um, because, because we're just like, we're a little too vague about it all. Right. Or haven't thoroughly considered like what it takes. And so for me, like so much of why, what I achieve in my life, and I've had a wide variety of different kinds of achievements. Um, and people do ask me about my methods and they are always, always about learning what other people do, assessing my ability to do the same thing or better. Right. And knowing myself well enough to see how I can align my habits with like the new habits and then doing it. And for me, like discipline is a big form of self-love of a way relating to myself. Uh, But I never do it in a punishing way, right? Like I adhere to plans if I continue to think they're good for me. 
and if they are sustainable. And if they're not, I change them, right? And so I think like holding in ourselves simultaneously like desire that helps us be disciplined, but also the willingness and ability, like the ability to see when we need to change and the willingness to do it. Um, holding those two things at the same time, the the change and the like discipline to like also stay the course when the course must be stayed. <laughs> um, those are kind of um, very important for me for goal setting and constantly being like as an aware of myself and what's required of me as possible. And then you do it and you like, you know, you, you don't stress about it because what you've decided to do is feasible for you. And if it stops being feasible, you change it. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, the only thing I will add is I think you have to figure out and you touched on this. This is the first thing you said, you have to figure out what's important to you. Like you have to figure out what is the goal. Obviously you'd like to get stronger. Maybe you'd like to lean out, um, but the scale is not your friend. Okay. So we know we don't need to be focused on our weight for our health. Not, we're not shaming people who have aesthetic goals or whatever, but if you don't want to use the scale, you don't want to get caught in that trap. You've got to use other biomarkers and there are other biomarkers of health that are powerful and can give you such a better picture of what is going on. How am I feeling? And what's actually like, what's going on with my health. Um, and so I feel like, you know, most of us ignore those biomarkers or we don't check in with those biomarkers and because we're so focused on what's the scale saying. So when you can take the scale out of the picture, now you, you have to use something else concrete that you can go to and say, okay, this is looking good today, or I'm feeling good today, or I'm not tired, or my number here is good. Like, I'm doing well, like I'm, you know, I'm meeting my goals. I'm, I'm on the path. I'm, I'm improving my health or I'm maintaining my health or whatever, managing my health. And sometimes, you know, you're going to be in a growth phase. Sometimes you're going to be in a maintenance phase and, and both of those are okay. And if it's more, okay, how do I, how do I make goals with this growth phase? It's, it's saying, what is it that I, and what can I actually like work into my life and what kind of commitment does that take? And I think sometimes we think a goal is like, we have a very narrow view of goals. Like it's, it's always something like, Hey, I want to lift 150 pounds. Okay, great. That's an awesome goal. I'm not saying it's a bad goal or I want to run a mile in seven minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, cool. But there are also other goals that we can use in our life. Like I used to write out goals of, I want to remain injury-free this year. <laughs> like I want to prioritize my sleep and make sure that I'm getting the seven to eight hours of sleep. So when I would make these concrete goals of, I want to try to be able to lift 150, deadlift 150 pounds, or I want to be able to work out three times a week. My other priorities, my other goals per se would come before that. So I would pursue that goal, that growth, as long as I had the seven to eight hours of sleep, you know, that I was, that I needed to get, or that I knew that what I was going to do, my body was prepared for it. And I wasn't, didn't have a twinge in my knee. And I didn't think that whatever I was about to do could push me over the edge and cause any sort of pain in my back or injury. So I do feel like we have to have these checks in built into when we make goals, when we're not focused on the scale and we're, we're saying, okay, it's not about weight. It's not about weight loss. It's about pursuing health and remaining healthy overall. So 
I want to have this kind of growth. I want to see these changes in my body. But how can I do that in a healthful way? And the way to do that is to put in these checks and to look at you as a, as a whole being, you know, look at your health comprehensively, which it is. That is the essence of holistic health. You are not just physical, you're mental, you're emotional. And, and there's so many things that are, um, that, that work into your physical health. And, and so we just have to be able to recognize all of those things. You can take, you know, blood work if you want to, you can assess your fatigue. Maybe you're struggling with something very specific, like thyroid issues or, you know, adrenal fatigue or whatever. So you've got to be able to use those, you know, your symptoms as biomarkers as well. And I feel like really where most people kind of take a nosedive is they don't recognize that their body is a holistic being and they ignore and they push aside so many of these biomarkers of health in order to get the scale to move. And as a result, they you know, burn out their health and they, they become more unhealthy or, um, you know, sacrifice their health. So, um, I love that you're being intentional with it. It just takes a little bit more like figuring out again, what's important to you and how can you go about pursuing that while also remaining sane (laughs) and, and, um, and healthy overall. So, okay. Um, uh, can I just, I just want to say, I thought that that was really awesome. And a visual that it gave me that you're talking gave me was like a, like a pyramid or like a, like a tree, like a branching like tree. And you've got like all these nested goals that fit within bigger ones. Right. And if the ultimate goal is like my flourishing or the flourishing of me and my whole family, then like all the sub goals have to participate in the bigger, you know, the bigger overarching ones. And if they stop, then you, you know, um, anyway, I thought what you said was fantastic. So thank you. I like, I like that visual. Yeah. Okay. Question number three is from Sarah. She says, I would love to know what products, if any, doesn't all buy at Costco. You ladies are an amazing resource for me. Thank you. Have you ever been in a Costco, Stephanie? Once. Okay. <laughs> with a, what, once with an X and, oh, okay. uh, and I was, uh, yes. Okay. We bought Twinkies and yep. Okay. <laughs> Good story. Okay. So people might hate me and I'm, but I, just, <laughs> I need to be, I need to be the voice for the people. Yes. Okay. So I do not shop at Costco. We have a Costco membership. Um, we got it like a couple years ago and I'm pretty sure we still, actually we might've dropped it because I don't like going to Costco. So I know that I may make some enemies here. I'm sorry if this is not your thing. But here's my problem with Costco. We used to shop at Sam's Club all the time, but now with kids, and this is so backwards, I get it. But now with kids, it's very hard for me to buy things in bulk. When you go to Costco, you end up buying a ton of something. And if you are consistently blowing through it every day, awesome. But I don't, I eat consistently, but I don't eat in that way. I don't eat as much as the Costco provides you with. So I do, I have, I like a lot of variety in my food. And I also, with my kids, you know, they may like something one day and the next day you're out as, you know, Project Runway would say, but like, it's out, it's done. 
So what we would do, we, you know, my husband would go to Costco, uh, like maybe once every two weeks or something, and he would get simple mills crackers and he would get, you know, a couple other things. And by and large, by the end of the box or whatever we'd get to, we'd end up throwing out a lot of food because it went stale or went bad or we didn't get to use it. And so I hate throwing out food. I hate feeling like we didn't get to something and I hate forcing food on myself and my kids because they don't like simple mills crackers right now. Simple mills. I love you, but they're not into it. And they they're, they're done with the crackers. We've had them, you know, for lunches. And so I like to really keep things varied. And Costco feels like a little prison to me where I have to, where like, I have to eat this and I have to finish it. And you're like only eating that for like the next two weeks. And so I know I'm being a little bit dramatic, but with my flow, Costco's not close to us. And that's another problem is like, it was driving, you had to drive kind of out of your way just to buy, you know, 10 pounds of, of butter or whatever. So, um, now what I typically do is I do buy in bulk but I buy in bulk the things that I know that I really use regularly and consistently, like, um, but that keeps really well. So frozen foods, for example, is really what I typically buy in bulk. The good pops we buy in bulk um, from Whole Foods when they go on sale, which they just did a huge 25% off sale. And even though it's kind of, you know, whatever your feelings about capitalism and Amazon buying out Whole Foods, when Amazon bought out Whole Foods, they brought in a whole lot of sales. Okay. So we get like, we get our stuff for a lot cheaper now. And we're intentional with buying a lot of the frozen stuff. So the primal kitchen meals, um, sometimes the, the grain-free pizza crusts, like we buy all that stuff in bulk. I'm totally cool with that. And then for the fresh produce, it's more of a, I buy it on a weekly basis based on what looks good, what's in season and what we you know, can afford in that moment and what my kids are feeling. So if I buy a, a little carton of strawberries, it, by the end of that little carton of strawberries, my kids are like, I don't want strawberries anymore. And I know that's, you know, weird, but this is, this is how kids eat. Um, and I just got, I was done with throwing out, you know, moldy strawberries. Like I want the stuff to be eaten. And so I buy smaller portions and really fresh foods. And I don't, want to waste anything. And I know I'm in the minority with that, but I'm not a, I can't buy produce yet in bulk. And maybe when my kids get bigger, we'll just be blowing through some stuff. But, um, for now that's, it doesn't, I don't, <laughs> but I do know simple mills has good stuff there. And people always talk about that and they buy it. And there's a couple of the brands that keep popping up. Um, that's great. You know, like I buy yum earth candy. So like the fruit snacks and the, um, the lollipops, for example, I buy that in bulk, but I do get it at, usually I will buy directly from the retailer and I'll use one of their coupon codes. So it ends up being, um, about the same price or I'll just wait till they're on sale. And that's when I'll like, you know, do a stop. Cause Amazon does these sales too, where they will be like, click this and you'll get a $10 coupon. And so a lot of times I'll wait for things like that and I'll buy in bulk, um, with that kind of stuff. So it's just, I found other ways that are a little bit more convenient. I love adaptogens. I love them. I take them every day. I used to be that way with coffee. Let's be honest. I would need it every morning, but now I love the feeling that I get from adaptogens and it's a much more healthful <laughs> daily habit. That's what we all want more, right? More, more healthful daily habits that actually supports my body's physiology. 
Adaptogens are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress. They are good for stress support, adrenal dysfunction, hormone imbalances, anxiety, fatigue, you name it, adaptogens can help. The more I research adaptogens, the more I realize the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. Now I drink Organifi Red Juice three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. They also have a green juice, which has ashwagandha in it. It's great for stress and recovery, especially if you're working out on a regular basis. And my favorite, is Organifi Gold. It's my favorite nightcap. It's a sweet little warm drink. You can take at night, it's got reishi. If you've got anxiety or your mind is spinning at night, drink that as your nightcap. It is so good and it's calming. All of Organifi's superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic and contain high quality ingredients. And they're also free of fillers and they taste really good and have clinical doses of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Go to Organifi.com forward slash well-fed and use the code well-fed for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash well-fed and use the code well-fed for 20% off your entire order. Okay. So uh, question number four is from Colleen. She says, what's your take on general testing? I don't necessarily have a major health complaint, but after years of working to optimize my hormones and gut, I'm just always striving for more such as spectrocell micronutrient panel testing. Would it be nice to know? It would be nice to know for sure if I'm lacking in any specific micronutrients and be able to optimize my diet that way or to not stress about, say, eating Brazil nuts regularly to make sure I'm getting enough selenium I, or like MRT stool testing to determine if there's any food sensitivities. I'm sure it's not totally necessary if I don't have a huge issue, but as hard as I try to eat great and the right nutrients, it would be a relief to have that insight. And she does have a second question about kids and dinners, which I will answer there as a kicker at the end. As a bonus. So what do you think about general testing? I'm interested uh, to make notes. Well, I don't do it. Um, I don't do it. I have had my genes tested and that has actually been incredibly helpful for me. So, uh, so there was also that. And I consult that when I'm looking at specific symptoms that I've had. And that really helped me um, knowing that I have some of the MTHFR mutations and knowing that I have some histamine intolerance related mutations was really has been very helpful for me. Um, But I don't do general testing because I don't because I don't see it as necessarily conducive to my flourishing. I feel a lot personally, like I see resonance in this question to a way that I personally feel when I get information, which is if the information is great, it loosens, it softens an anxiety that I am carrying or could potentially be carrying, right? Like I want this information because it's going to make, I'm going to sleep better at night if I get this information, like, you know, or some information, whenever I'm feeling kind of anxious, if I can fix something, it makes me feel better. 
right? Um, if I can reduce some sort of uncertainty or then I'll feel better because I am, I go through this experience of feeling like, oh, okay, things are like sorted now. And I see, I think a lot of that happens in the health sphere when people, you know, like really get perfectionistic about dialing in their health. They're like, well, I'm like controlling as much as I can, or I have, I'm exerting this much control. Therefore I am, you know, helping myself um, in, in a certain way. And so I'm not saying that this is like necessarily what's happening with, with testing, but sometimes, right. There's like, you're mentioning that you think it could be like really great to have this information. Um, if you think it would be good for you to like, see if you have things dialed in, I don't see any problem with it. Like go for it. I know people who are really big dial inners and like, they love it and it's great for them. And, um, and they, and they don't get obsessive about it. They just try to dial in At the same time, you know, um, also understand that once you get like a bunch of numbers back at you, you're going to have to, you're going to have a response to them. Right. And if, uh, if it means to, like trying to figure out why the numbers are the way they are, if it means, uh, like having to cope with the fact that they're maybe not where you want them to be or, um, yeah, like I just, when you get testing done, uh, you will get results and one potential outcome is everything is great. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the outcomes are, well, okay, now what am I going to do? Am I going to add in three Brazil nuts every day and then see if it does this, right? Uh, and that could be great, right? You could really love being on that journey. Um, or maybe things will be a little bit ambiguous and you'll be unsure about what you want to do. Like, that's okay too. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just like throwing some pontificating uh, out there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, I, I want to say I have some sort of strong opinion on this. And I do think that as I've gotten older and like moved in deeper with just working with people and seeing um, just how individual each person is. And also just like knowing a little bit more about testing and testing myself and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm definitely, and I do think this happens with practitioners over time is that you stop relying so much on testing and start relying more on symptoms. And I just don't necessarily feel the need to really dive deep into stool testing or food sensitivity testing if I don't have any symptoms. Um, yeah. Something may show up and it may not be right. Like testing isn't the end all be all. So a food sensitivity testing is notorious for being inaccurate and not really showing mm -hmm. a clear picture. And so the last thing I want for people to do is to get a ton of testing and then feel a little anxious or feel like they need to be resolving some health issue when it's not actually causing them any symptoms. Because for example, if you were to take an MRI of everybody's back, the majority of the population would have some sort of, you know, slipped disc or scoliosis or like problems that are these big things that we consider to be things that would cause pain. And so what would you do with that knowledge if you were not in pain, but now you found out, well, I have a bulging disc or one of my discs isn't sitting right or my spine's actually curved. Like 
what would you do with that information? Would it sort of eat away at you? Would that change how you move? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you'd start doing more specific things to strengthen your back and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you have to also weigh the cost of now, what do I do with this information? (laughs) Because everybody has their own issues. And I can promise you, if you're going to take some tests, you're going to find, you know, you're going to find that you got problems. But it's not necessarily like I'm so much more that we can be more healthy overall by treating symptoms and and digging deeper only when we have those symptoms, as opposed to going and looking for problems to fix. Because if you feel great and your health is easy to manage within reason, again, we all have our issues. I'm not so sure that I would want you to spend your time, both your mental and emotional energy, trying to find things that really aren't causing you a problem. I get the idea. And the only time that I've done testing is around certain things like pregnancy and stuff like that and postpartum and making sure that my thyroid's good and nutrient status is good and vitamin D is all good and all of that. Again, I'm not saying that's, that's bad. I think that that's good. And I may in the future may do, okay, let's just get a general look at where some of my micronutrients are and where I can be a little bit more intentional with things. Um, But it will be done more as just a general picture for me to know how to shift my food as opposed to get on some protocol and do this and do that. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I land. I wish I had a little bit more of like, yeah, do it. But just after so many years of both working with myself and my husband's on our health and then, you know, clients and and the community, it's, I think a lot of people put a lot of weight in testing um, when it's still flawed. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, especially like food and allergen testing and stuff like that, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And bioindividuality. Also, right. I think, right. I think you're, at, you're, you're so right to, to raise that point, which is why, like, you know, you think you're going to get a test result and things might be settled, but yeah, uh, you know, the numbers could, yeah, I don't I, fix it, fix it. Numbers could lie. Right. So no, yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, and it could go both ways. Right. Again, like you could have a false sense of security or a false sense of insecurity or, you know, yes, so. Right. Oh, that's true. Um, this last question is, do your kids eat most of the dinners you make come to ish? They stop eating red meat and salmon among other things. Chicken is usually okay, but I find myself making siete quesadillas anytime we have seafood and Ezekiel grilled cheese every time we have red meat. So I can sneak them on there. Yes. They're getting the nutrients that way, but it's more work and it's not helping their pickiness in the long run we go to cookouts and they won't eat anything but fruit. Um, no, my kids don't eat most of the dinners I make. Um, kids, you're right at two. You think you're, you think your kids are going to be different because you're going to feed them. You know, you fed them salmon and red meat from the get-go. Um, you just have to get creative with how you include it. And I think, you know, one of the ways, like I have my certain meals that I know that the kids will always eat. And it's a struggle right now because I don't want to make that every night, but I, I do have to, you know, I, I do make those compromises. So like try some hamburgers. Um, kids really, if you grill hamburgers on the, on like an outdoor grill, like a gas grill, 
and you put it on a good, like we have these really good gluten-free rolls from that, like three, the three, six, five, five brand makes they're the smaller, like dinner rolls. So they're not like these big hamburger buns, but my kids will eat those and they love those. And so I at least know they're getting some grass fed meat in there and they will eat my paleo chicken tenders. So if you just go get some high quality chicken and cut it up and turn it into nuggets, like good green light. But there's certain things that just drive me nuts. Like I love making my sloppy Joe recipe or last night I made baked chicken. And the first thing I have a challenging child. Okay. I have a very challenging personality, um, to parent and it's, she's so different from Maverick. It's astonishing. Um, but she will let me know when she does not want something. And so I have to manage my emotions around that daily, nightly, and it's very challenging and I do fail at it. Um, and I'm like, you know, she'll be like, I don't want to eat this. And I'm like, I don't care. It's what's for dinner. Like, I just got to the point where I'm just like, you eat it or you don't. But I do, you know, that's, that was last night, but you know, most nights I just say, you know, just eat what you want to. It's, it's okay. And so I do think exposure is important. Um, when I know I'm serving them something she doesn't want, but I want her to have that exposure to it. I will offer another food that she likes like rice or, um, uh, we do coconut milk yogurt with like fruit mixed in so that I know she's at least getting, cause she's doing a lot of, you know, training and stuff now. So I want her to, to be full, but I also would like her, she's like, can I, can I just eat one bite of it? And I'm like, sure. You know, like I never say like, you need to eat at least one bite, but she's kind of picked up on the fact that I'm like, still, it's important to try things. So if she just says like, can I just have one bite? And I'm like, just, yeah, eat, eat, eat what you need, eat what you'd like. So I do feel like she's kind of picking up and getting there, but I do understand it's, it's exhausting and we will get through it. (laughs) It's exhausting. Eventually they will like your cooking at some point. Um, when they're preschoolers, it's just, it's just hard. And I've even seen Maverick become more picky and it drives me nuts, but, um, it's all, it's more about managing our own emotions than, than, than trying to get them to eat. So you're not alone. Um, okay. Anything else from you, Stephanie? No, I was enlightening. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, for more from Stephanie health to empower.com, you can also follow her at stephanie.ripper on the Insta. And for more from me, coconuts and I'm at coconuts and on Instagram. Thanks for being here guys. We will talk to you next week.